Second edition of the All We Hear is Purple Washington Huskies UW Dog Pond podcast. I'm your host, not actually your host. I'm your guest, your on-air talent, Andrew Berg, will be introducing your host shortly. We, as always, aim to be the third or fourth most mediocre Husky football podcast on the entire internet. Let us know if we're doing a good job of ranking that high in the mediocre rankings. Also, we're the official podcast of the Cody Pickett Fan Club. Uh, Gaby Lucas, your official host, wanted me to tell you that. How are you doing tonight, Gaby? I'm doing great. I'm doing great because you mentioned our love for our collective love for Cody Pickett, and that's all it takes. So thank you. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, you don't have to impose host. that on everybody. <laughs> we'll, we'll just join oh, you. Yes, in. I you do. You don't have to force us. <laughs> you're, you're allowed to. It's not necessary. Yeah. Lucas, I Shannon's don't have to, but us. I will. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> Lucas Shannon's also with us. Lucas. How's your evening treating uh, you? Doing well. Excited to talk real Husky football. We're not talking depth chart or fall camp or spring camp or anything. Talking actual Husky football that happened for real on Montlake. So I'm excited to dive into it. Well, let's do it. I, we're we're one fifteenth of the way to a national championship. It's probably the easiest fifteenth of all fifteenths that we're going to have. Uh, I, I think the obvious place to start is with the offensive performance. Looked really good, obviously. How much of that is our receivers actually getting better? Aaron Fuller turning into Odell Beckham. How much of it is Jacob Eason turning them into better receivers? And how much of it is just we were playing an FCS team, even if it's a pretty good FCS team? I think um, my initial reaction, for one, I I think obviously UW's talent advantage over Eastern, like you can't ignore that. But for what it's worth, the last few years, Eastern has been significantly improved on defense. Um, whenever they um, played against FCS competition, so their own comparable thing, I mean, they were giving up, like, I want to say 19 points a game or whatever. So it's not like beating up on on them eight, six, seven years ago when their defense was just ass. Um, that being said, um, it looked to me like the receivers themselves didn't have that much more separation or physical ability but but Easton's ability to be so precise because he doesn't have to you know struggle to to wind up and just get the ball there really made it so that they're capable of doing you know doing what they do and actually making something of it um, especially when you consider Bachelia's speed and Fuller's body control in the air with those two crazy catches you know that was kind of my my main thoughts yeah, Lucas, what were you seeing? Did similar things from your end, or, or are you a little bit more uh, optimistic about the, the actual change in the receivers themselves? Yeah, I think I'm pretty similar. Um, I'm a little bit more skeptical that it was. I'm a, I guess I'll say this. I think it was more Eason than the receivers. Um, I was like many Husky fans and really in awe of what Eason was able to do, just how friggin' fast that ball was coming out of his hand at you know anything you wanted you know tunnel screen uh, something over the middle something deep obviously you know he's put uh, back shoulder fades um just really impressed with Eason and it's not to discredit the 
um, receivers. I think it was stuff we've seen them do before, like Fuller's um, strength, in my opinion, is really his ability to make moves in the air with his body and contort his body um, and make these really difficult catches. I think that's really what he excels at. Um, And so I thought it was Eason throwing him open, really, throwing the ball to only where he could catch it and then giving him a chance to make an incredible play. Um, And similar with Bacilia, um, we've seen a lot of speed from Bacilia um, in his career, but I think a lot of it's been around the uh, line of scrimmage and, and kind of short, quick hitting screen. So it was nice to see the Huskies really utilize him as a downfield threat. And then Eason to be able to deliver, you know, just a bomb on the money was really exciting to see. And it's, I'll just finish with, it's a little um, annoying, but I think necessary to, when we talk about this stuff to put that disclaimer of it is only Eastern. And I do think it was only Eastern. And that's my opinion about the wide receivers, mainly because this hasn't been a group that has, excelled the last two years so while i was very excited and and um pleased by what happened on saturday um i'm wanting to see a similar performance against a um a more high caliber defense before i start to say uh you know the receivers really like they've made improvements um again encouraged but want to see it proven and, and as we'll get into a little later they'll have a an ability to prove it this saturday but yeah, getting ahead I, of I it's probably fair to say that oh, if you the, go ahead. Yeah, if, if the physical limitations of guys like Fuller and Bacellia are going to show up, it might not be Eastern's secondary who's able to exploit them to that degree. Gabe, what were you going to add? Oh, no, just, I mean, pretty much that just I agree with that as far as like, um, there was such little room for error with when you had Browning in 2018 or 2017, you know, as far as his arm abilities. Um, that, you know, they, they were, the same receivers were kind of doing similar, similar, you know, had, were showing similar abilities. Um, but there's just so much more precision that can happen with Eason's arm. Um, as well as just being able to get Pachelia down, uh, downfield. But yeah, I pretty much just said, add, added nothing to that conversation, but just wanted to emphasize that a lot. Just that room for error kind of thing. It's a verbal plus one. Yeah, I, I think, like what Luke was saying, that not just the this arm strength, but the quick release really stood out from Eason. And, yeah. and there was a play, I think, late in the second quarter, he overthrew Bacellia down the, the right sideline by about five yards. And it took me a few seconds. There was this cognitive dissonance. I was waiting for a flag to come out. I assumed the receiver must have been held because it's been so long since I saw a quarterback on UW actually overthrow a receiver on a deep route. And I don't want to trash Jake Browning. I love Browning, and he was a tremendous quarterback for the Huskies, but there are some things he couldn't do, and I think we got to see a lot of those things in one game. And that those parts, regardless of the opponent, are physical things that we just didn't have in that position. Um, there were, you know, the running game was maybe a little bit less uh, uplifting, although there were some positives. Uh, Richard Newton... I think we all assumed he was going to be fourth on the depth chart. Uh, he was decidedly not fourth. He's probably second. He didn't have the number of carries that Salvan Ahmed did, but was probably more productive in the ones he did have. Uh, what's your take on the, the running game, Gaby? Um, yeah, I think when I'm, I'm not freaking out about, about Ahmed's kind of mediocre performance um, statistically, just not yet anyway, um, both for a, 
the combination of the fact that this team, the last like four years, has started off slow where uh, in that regard. I am excited about the potential for a combination of Newton and Aka just because they have such different skill sets and where how how that could uh like force it force defenses to to approach that attack and then you combine with the ability to push the ball downfield in the passing game. The thing that worried me the most uh was that the offensive line, especially the left interior, was less than dominant against an Eastern Washington defensive line that was at heaviest, 20 pounds lighter than our lightest offensive lineman. And so to see that, and especially when it's so it's such an experienced offensive line too, is something that you kind of stop and are like, oh, okay. <laughs> so are dot, you dot, dot, just dot. being polite to Luke Wattenberg and calling him the left interior offensive line? Or are you <laughs> <laughs> lumping uh, Matteo Melli, true freshman, forced into action into that as well? Um, I, I mean, he didn't, Matteo Mele definitely, you know, I mean, he, he played, I thought he played, it was a pleasant surprise for, for me, mm-hmm. uh, at least from, from what I was paying attention to. Uh, I haven't done any snap counts or whatever, but, um, so I, I, I'm, I, as far as he's a backup center, redshirt freshman, yeah, obviously he's going to be a step down from Nick Harris when he came in, but I thought he did at least decent holding his own. Um, and in Wattenberg, he, he was just kind of hit or miss. And that it was the same thing in pass protection that I saw a couple of the times Easton was hurried. Um, it was on Wattenberg. And um, that's just not super encouraging. <laughs> but I'm kind of in holding mode right now. Lucas, are you similarly uh, having mixed emotions? Are you expecting more mauling going forward from the offensive line? Or do you think this is about what we can expect? Yeah, it's tough to say. I think I do have high expectations for this group just because there's so much experience coming back. Um, obviously, that takes a hit if, you know, Nick Harris will have to see with his injury at Peterson's classic week to week, kind of utterly meaningless um, answer there uh, in the press conference, I think, on Monday about Harris's health. Uh, you know, if some of the some of the rumors have been that Harris could have played uh, if they really needed him on Saturday, and, and you know, hopefully that's true. And I think that that does affect affect it a little bit. I, I'm like Gaby too. I think that Matteo Amelia was a nice surprise. Um, some of his snaps were a little um, concerning, but I think it got better over time. Yeah, um, for sure. One of Eason's more memorable plays was when that snap went over his head, and he jumped and caught it, and then came down and instantly hit. I'm not sure who it was on the uh, wide receiver screen, but that was an impressive play. But that's kind of beside the point. Um, but yeah, I think you know I haven't gone back and done a deep dive on you know the blocking of play by play. You know failures. It's tough for us to know in some ways. Um, but it, I had this general same general sense that the left when we were trying to run left, it wasn't as successful as maybe it should be. And you know I think Luke Wattenberg. Um, gets a little bit too much heat from fans typically about his performance, but you know he has been kind of thought of as potentially one of the weak links on this offensive line um, in terms of the returners. Um, and it, so I'm with Gaby that I would have liked to see us come out and just pound the you know pound the dirt and just kind of blow back this smaller FCS defensive line, and it didn't happen and. 
but at the same time, I'm kind of not willing to hit the panic button yet um, for a couple of reasons. One, because like Gaby said, that um, our running game has taken um, some time over the years um, to kind of warm up and and kind of gel. So I think that that um, is something we should kind of expect to take a little bit of time, it's a little bit of a work in progress. And also, um, according to uh, the charting report that um, Max, shout out Max, did, um, it looks like we had 5.1 yards per play on the runs when we when we ran the ball. So, you know, that's not terrible. Um, so I think I'm cautiously optimistic about the running game and, and um, especially with Richard Newton's surprisingly impressive performance, really looking like we might have a ton of different types of um, styles um, coming out of the backfield in terms of how the running backs run, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think also that's... You Go guys, ahead. Oh, I'm just going to say, I think that's part of it. If we were just looking at the running backs as a whole and just isolating that unit, I think I would be super excited. And I still am pretty excited uh, when you when you look at kind of all the different skill sets. Um, I think it's just, yeah, it, not being an absolutely dominant force on the line that, that has me on holding mode. I think that's fair. I, I think that pretty much puts a pin in the offensive thoughts. I, I think it overall, it was a pleasing performance and everybody has to be pretty happy with the initial introduction to Jacob Eason. How about on the other side of the ball? It seemed like the defense wasn't uh, blowing any, blowing the doors off much in the same way the, of the offensive line, but it got the job done. I would call the holding serve. Uh, who stood out to you, Lucas, in a, in a good way, on the defense who is kind of exceeding expectations on your end. Yeah, I'm not sure about exceeding expectations, but somebody I was really excited with, about um, was uh, Molden at the nickel spot. Um, you know, Miles Bryant's now moved to safety, who mm-hmm. also, Miles Bryant had a great game as well. But, you know, Elijah Molden was somebody who, you know, we were hoping to take that next step and really um, excel at the nickel spot because it's been such a, it's such an important part of our defense and it's been such a productive um position for us the last couple of years he's got big shoes to fill um and he looked the part and then some um on saturday and if that's any indication he looks like the next great nickel uh defender um in our defense i was also impressed you know with key taylor i thought he had a good uh a nice game i thought um you know i thought levi um was really disruptive i'm not sure if he really showed up in the box score as much, but I thought, you know, just watching the game, I was really impressed with just how quick he was in the middle. Um, was really happy to see Benning um, get a get a sack there. Um, trying to think. Was also happy with uh, MJ Tafisi. He he showed some nice nice sparks there at the interior linebacker position. Um, so when I think back, I think those are the players who 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 stand out to me. How about Gaby on your end? Is there, Can I also add? Is it, did, did Lucas cover everybody, or is there anybody else who you uh, were pleasantly surprised with? Uh, I mean, that was a lot of the main ones. Uh, I'd also, I just wanted to emphasize when because you you said betting, and to me, I'm I'm so happy seeing him finally being allowed to. I, I felt like the last three years, you know, he had to kind of work against his his natural his body's predisposition and. To, to maintain kind of that that outside linebacker uh, body type. And I think, A, it's so beneficial for this team to put him on the inside just because of, you know, where they would be at otherwise. But also, I, I think we saw it on Saturday. It just seems 
so natural to for him to be there and for this team to have him there. And, and it was really fun to see him kind of be a thing that that it felt like he could have been uh, maybe a while ago. Um, but putting him in, in this position. Uh, I, so I, that's something that I, I really, that really stood out to me. Same thing with Elijah Molden, uh, being sort of, sort of that full-time starter at nickel. Those two I thought were really fun. Um, just, just as far as pure entertainment value. <laughs> Who would have thought enjoyed that all, it all very we needed <laughs> to get Benning some sacks was to have him stop playing the pass rusher, pass rushing position and moving him, him up inside. Yeah. It's bizarre. <laughs> but I, I've always been curious yeah. about whether he, he or the coaching staff was uh, responsible for him staying at more of the outside linebacker position because it seemed natural even a couple of years ago for him to be putting on that weight with the frame that he had. But we are where we are now. He's needed there and it looked like a good first step. How about the other side of it? Were there players or themes in the game that stood out to you that that weren't ideal? I mean, there was a uh, long touchdown pass where uh, perhaps one true freshman stood out. I don't know if we want to burn him too much this early on, but uh, Gaby, anything on your end that, that you identified as problematic or troubling? I think we can mention Cam Williams there in that in that play, just because the rest of the game he did really well, you know. Yeah, so I don't true. think I don't think it's 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 beating up on him to be like, hey, you made one mistake, you're 18, <laughs> you suck. No, I thought he did did pretty well. Uh, yeah, I think just like uh, how everyone's kind of been talking, the the linebackers, middle or inside linebackers, um, not super confidence inspiring. Um, there was a couple runs um, where where the the defensive interior did their job really well, and then there was just no uh, no interior linebacker there to to finish the job, and it's kind of like uh, where 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 are you guys? Um, the thing that kind of surprised me though was that Tyler Manu, uh, you know, he wasn't he wasn't this world beater, but he showed up a lot more around the ball mm-hmm. than Brandon Wellington, and I think we kind of expected those to be. By, uh, to be swapped. Yep. Um, Wellington only had two tackles, which, um, even if you're not super into stats, I mean, that's kind of that you're, where are you? You know, I mean, if your job there, especially given, uh, in, in a, an offense like Eastern Washington's, um, you, you know, you have to be disciplined with your spatial, you know, with your positioning. Um, and especially there's, there's a couple times where he, Kind of drifted one direction and and it let a play dr- develop in the other one, um, which for uh, you know a fourth year senior isn't super encouraging. <laughs> Is you know all, all I'm going to say about that, and I'm not going to, um, you know I'm not going to to totally uh, discount him after one game, but it's not super encouraging. Is my main thoughts. <laughs> right, I, I had a, a similar reaction. I was surprised how frequently Manu was around the ball uh, and, and even making plays out on the perimeter, which isn't typically what we think of as his strength. And Wellington just mm-hmm. not showing up around the ball surprised me, especially like you said, with a defensive strategy that funnels ball carriers to these inside linebackers. We saw BBK last year, you know, getting 130 tackles most weeks. And for the guy who's supposed to be filling his shoes to get two does stand out. Uh, and hopefully that's a trend that can reverse itself. Yeah. Um, I, how about uh, uh, Lucas? Was there any uh, other defensive uh, points that you you hope to see improvement on for next week? Yeah, um, I was hoping to see uh, some of our um, 
outside linebackers, um, kind of the Bucks, um, show up a little bit more than they did in the pass rush. You know, I was hoping to see Joe Tyron get a sack or, or Ryan Bowman get a sack. And, you know, to their credit, I rewatched the game and it did, they were close and um, they were definitely creating pressures. Um, it just, you know, it was kind of had that feeling of last year where they weren't really able to get all the way to the quarterback. And, you know, there's also an argument to be made that, we, you know, we ended up with four sacks. We got some nice interior pressures. So, and in some ways, interior pressure from defense alignment is more disruptive than um, pressure coming from outside linebackers. So, um, you know, there's an argument to be made that maybe it doesn't matter as much. But the one thing that was concerning to me was it felt like the coaches felt like we needed to bring a lot of um, inside linebacker blitzes or uh, Miles Bryant blitzing a couple times from the safety spot. You know, um, Gaby, you and me talked a little bit about that during the game on on the Slack that. You know, we weren't sure maybe that was um, uh, just experimenting by the coaches early in a game that, you know, maybe was well in hand by the second quarter. And, you know, so, hey, let's try some things out here and see how it looks. You know, maybe it was, you know, who knows what it was. But if it was a if it's a trend going forward, that doesn't exactly seem like the coaches think there's a lot of confidence in those outside linebackers, um, which is a little concerning because that's been something we've been looking to replace really ever since, you know, Joe Mathis got hurt. In 2016 and so we're still looking for that guy to step up and really be that dominant um outside linebacker uh you know sack you know, quarterback sack machine that we just we haven't had for a couple of years so you know hoping to see a little bit of improvement in, in that way you know starting this weekend in that area definitely yeah and um the other thing that also do you want to go ahead <laughs> oh no i'm just gonna say the other thing that's really similar is there felt especially with ryan bowman a couple of times where you know, he he got to the quarterback, but was undisciplined with his contain assignment. And so kind of shot, you know, shot Eric Berrier out for either to go go running, <laughs> go for a nice jog or 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 get the ball out, um, which that to me was the main thing is that they felt like oftentimes they were really close, but then got too excited. It, they looked like a dog chasing a squirrel and then forgot that the squirrel is really mobile and way faster than you. <laughs> so, yeah. It was really a dog chasing an eagle um, and probably with similar success. Uh, not probably going to catch <laughs> <Shut it>. up. <laughs> uh, that, that should put a bookend on our review of the first win of the season, hopefully one of many. Uh, we're going to take a quick break for an advertisement, and we'll be right back to talk about Cal and the rest of the Pac-12. <laughs> Welcome back. That was our second official advertisement and the first ad break we took in the middle of a podcast so i hope you enjoyed that we're working on our transitions we're going to talk a little bit about the upcoming matchup with cal uh it's interesting to me you don't hear peterson talking about retribution or getting revenge or atoning for past mistakes but i'm guessing there are a lot of players on the field who are going to feel like they have something to prove after the frankly dismal performance uh in berkeley last year uh, it's kind of a similar looking Cal team. There's really strong defense. Justin Wilcox obviously instilled that right away. Terrible quarterback play. Uh, Gaby, from your perspective, has anything on Cal's side really changed from last time we saw them? I think it didn't look like the answer was definitely yes um, <laughs> on Saturday if you watch the UC Davis game. Um, I, I, I was kind of in a... Um, cautious buy over Cal's offense uh, and now I'm firmly in holding maybe sell uh, which I realize I've used that 
that term a couple times over this the course of this conversation. Um, just as far as, uh, I mean, their defense is so good. You know, as far as overplaying or overperforming relative to their talent level, there's pure raw talent level that that really, if, I mean, if this if they, their offense even is a little bit all right, they could definitely screw some people up over the course of of this uh, of this season. But I didn't, you know, you didn't really see that on Saturday. Last Saturday, and what's more, you saw them play kind of sloppy, especially the first half. Which might just be, you know, it's the first game of the season, so I'm not gonna say that'll be a trend, but it's not something that you really would feel very confident about if you're if you're Cal coming into this game. Um, but at the same time, after last year, you know, I think we're all a little bit shell shocked. So who who knows? Yeah, and if you look at the big picture, it was a it was a two point loss last year. It was on the road, just moving that game to Husky Stadium. If you're a better uh, you you may just look at that as being enough to swing the result, although I don't think if we swung it five points or whatever, most Husky fans would feel too good about a 13-10 to 10 win or something along those lines. Uh, Miles Gaskin was out last mm-hmm. year. He's obviously not going to be playing this weekend either, but that, that was a big part of the offense last year that wasn't present for the game. Uh, Lucas, what do you think? Obviously, it's a very different-looking offense going in this year with Easton in place of Browning and, and the play calling that goes along with that. What do you think the keys will be to put points on the board against, like Gaby said, an overperforming defense that always seems to be in the right place? Yeah. Um, if you read uh, Bill Conley um, and his preview of the, you know, the Cal team coming up this year, um, he, he said that last year, basically, teams that had success successfully patiently ran the ball against Cal for four to five yards per carry and didn't turn the ball over or make mistakes in the air. And, you know, we're patient with their running so i'm i'm thinking that might be a you know pretty reasonable approach you know pound the ground game and you know stick with it if it's if it's kind of tough sliding there for a while and then eventually take the top off a little bit with um some play action with eason um going deep or or, you know hitting over the middle in a way that you know we haven't seen like you said andrew we haven't seen a a guy at, at uw throw the football like this at least since jake bocker and you know it might be yeah, I think it's more impressive than than Jake Locker's arm even. So, you know, I think that I'm hoping that the Huskies will, you know, kind of stay patient with the running game and then, you know, take shots when they can. But I think as we were talking earlier where, you know, was it the wide receivers performing well or was it Eason? I think this will be a good test for the wide receivers to prove that it was um, tilted more in their direction, that, that their success was tilted more in their direction. Uh, Bill Conley said that last year, um, 42% of the uh, incompletions against Cal's defense were due to pass passes defended by their corners. You know, this is a secondary that's for real. They bring back um, six of their, I believe, six of their starters from that secondary last year. So, you know, this is, you know, you want to prove it game for the wide receivers. I think this is a bit of a prove it game. So I'm hoping to kind of see those guys rise to the occasion this weekend. Yeah, speaking of Conley, I noticed uh, he also had Cal's defense in the preseason. His his S&P Plus preview rated as the fifth most uh, effective defense in the country based on their projections anyway. Uh, I think what you said made sense in, in terms of taking care of the football, and that was a big key last year. Obviously, the Hainer turnover is a memorable one, and, and Browning threw an interception as well. The expected turnover differential in that game based on everything that happened play-to-play 
slightly favored UW, but the actual turnover differential was uh, negative two. Cal didn't turn the ball over, which was kind of abnormal for Garbers last year and, and especially McElwain when he played. So uh, being negative two in turnovers against Cal is kind of a uh, death sentence. And that's definitely something that I, I think we, we yeah. need to avoid. Uh, Gabe, is there anything else uh, from your point of view that, that needs to look different? Do you think maybe that was one of the reasons we saw so much Richard Newton this week is to uh, get us ready for the ground and pound attack that it may take against Cal? Um, I mean, I don't think they played him specifically to be like, ah, I know, we'll, we'll get him ready for Cal and for Cal alone, you know, I think, I think in the end you're going to play him because he looks like he's probably going to be our running back two or maybe even one B. Uh, and you might as well start that now. Um, I think he's probably going to get a lot of, a lot of work though, um, this Saturday for the reasons that you guys have gone over. Um, because like we've known for the last two years and it's, probably still at least somewhat true now it looked through uh last saturday you know you're not gonna probably run savan Ahmed through the tackles a hundred billion times a game um but if you can make newton that threat and kind of have them key in on him and more maybe even more importantly hire them out um a la oregon last saturday which was hilarious um then Ahmed and and Bichelia with his speed and stuff and the passing game becomes so much more potent and so much, you know, they have so much more room to, to make plays. Um, so that's kind of my gut going into it. Maybe with Chris Peterson's Boise background, he can do what they did against Florida State and trick them into getting dehydrated. That seemed to be a, a good strategy <laughs> on, on Boise's part, if you believe Willie Taggart's excuses that his, his medical team, not the coach, was responsible for the loss because they didn't give the players enough water. Speaking of Oregon and the rest of the pack, man, I love that. It's, it's so a much. great excuse that t- takes no responsibility at all for a coach who's known as a CEO coach. So brilliant, great. brilliant. Well, and a Boise, yeah, and Boise State's quarterback, just like with Auburn, Oregon, true freshman, uh, uh, Hank Bachmeyer, who was Marcus Spiker's quarterback in high school. And he just goes in there and is like, ha, 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 suck it, yeah. you're mine. Blackmire looked pretty good. He, even when and just, There's something about that whole scenario. He was making plays. He wasn't perfect, but even when they were falling behind early, he was he was, did make some plays out of nothing against, you know, he obviously mm-hmm. their uh, skill level at the playmaking positions doesn't measure up to Florida State. But while we're talking about other teams, let's, let's kind of do a little look around the Pac-12. Uh, Gabe, you alluded mm-hmm. to it a minute ago. Do we want to just spend a little bit of time reveling in uh, Oregon's horrible uh, choke job against Auburn, or do we want to characterize it as something even worse than that? Heck yes, we do. <laughs> That's the worst uh, thing we can no, say about I, uh, it. I think we, we talked <laughs> we talked about this last weekend, about whether as UW fans uh, and people who care about the trajectory of UW and how being associated with the Pac-12, how that affects it, um, what you should be rooting for on Saturday. And honestly, I think we got the best scenario that was humanly possible because Oregon looked like the better team for two and a half, maybe three quarters. Like it wasn't really you, especially the first half of that game. Watching Auburn, other than their their defensive line and stuff, their offense didn't look like they could do anything. Um, Oregon looked kind of like they had it under control, um, and then so it doesn't make the Pac-12 look all that bad. And then they blow it, and man, that was 
so funny. Like there's there I I was I didn't couldn't make up my mind what I wanted to happen and then this went and happened and the universe the universe just looked at all of us and went, "No. Here's what you get from me, God." So, yeah, I'm feeling good. It just blew my mind every time a Bo Nix dropped back to pass on a play that was an actual pass. There were there were plays where it seemed almost like one read and then a semi-designed mm-hmm. scramble. But his his arm just wasn't there, or the decision-making yeah. or combination of those things. And when they ran the ball, I, I know they're kind of yeah, running into a sense. wall at some points. They were getting a little predictable, but I think Nick's finished the game like 12 for 31 or something like that. Obviously made one big completion near the end of the game, but when they just committed yeah. to running the ball, it was pretty embarrassing from Oregon's perspective that they weren't able to to do anything since the, the passing game was so ineffective. Uh, Lucas, what do you think this means for Oregon's season? Is it kind of like run the table or it's going to be a letdown? Or is there anything they can do to redeem themselves? Or is they, they have they pretty much just blown it all at this point? Oh, I would certainly say, no, they haven't blown it at all, honestly. I mean, I think... Well, that's disappointing. Will you please say that? <laughs> I mean, I think that it was definitely... I'm with Gaby where I couldn't really decide what I wanted to have happen until really the end of the game and just how kind of funny it was the way that it ended. Like, they were winning for... Leading for literally the entire game up until last nine seconds. And then Justin Herbert throwing a Hail Mary like he's trying out for the CFL was bizarre i could not believe he couldn't get it to the regulation <laughs> of the end zone but yeah that was but going so back good. to your question now andrew no i don't think they've blown anything really i think that if they run the table they're solidly in the playoff um and i think honestly the the goal for that team for oregon as a program should be to win the north and win the pac-12 and um if the playoff happens it happens and if it doesn't it doesn't but that would be a, a huge victory for mario cristobal and his program in year two um, I didn't necessarily see a team that could – I don't think I saw a team that could run the table. And I'm not sure I, I've seen it. I saw a team on Saturday that – you know, it's only one game, but I wasn't um, – okay, well, there are times where I was at a little scared there early um, when their offense was humming pretty well and um, that they were, they were kind of for real. The hype was for real. But then you look at the, the numbers at the end of the game. I mean, they averaged 2.7 yards rushing. Um, 90 mm-hmm. rushing yards yeah. and 6.5 yards per pass. Um, I understand Auburn is very good, and I I think they will be one of the best defenses in the, in the um country this year. So it's no, it wasn't a lot. You know, they were going up against a very good defense, but this was supposed to be the best offensive line in the Pac-12, one of the best in the country, and Justin Herbert is supposed to be the best quarterback in this draft. And um, I understand they have injury issues and depth problems at wide receiver. And that's a real, real thing. So I don't discount that, but I didn't exactly see, um, uh, you know, an offensive line that looked dominant and I didn't necessarily see the hype with Harvard as a surefire number one pick. So I think they still have some things to prove. And I guess I would finish it out by saying, I'm not sure about you guys, but I cannot remember the last time, I've seen a team two years in a row have miscues in the red zone with the snap that end up with a defensive lineman either scoring or taking the ball to right? the goal line. Yeah. I was I yes. was screaming um, <laughs> at the top of my lungs saying, oh, my God, it's happening again. Like, I, I could not believe it. It was like, 
It was unbelievable. I've never seen anything <laughs> so was like I. that. It, um, the only thing that was weirder was the three consecutive fumbles in that Notre Dame Louisville game last night. Like it was like, but even it was just shocking. But you know, I think no, there's you know, there's a lot left on the table for Oregon. But I think Gaby's exactly right. It was basically the perfect outcome for Husky fans. Pac-12 looked good for a while, and then Oregon hilariously um, botches it at the end. <laughs> Enough. Here's one very fun fact I noticed looking back at this game. Uh, Oregon plays Nevada this week. Nevada just uh, beat Purdue. They were an 11-point underdog, and they they won the game on a last-second field goal. Uh, Oregon didn't have their win probability for the game drop below uh, 50% until 36 seconds left or whenever it was under a minute to go uh, when when Nick's threw that <laughs> touchdown. Uh, and on the other hand, Nevada's win probability – didn't go above 50% until there were nine seconds left in their game when they made the field goal at the end. So Nevada, of course, spent nine seconds with a win probability above 50% is 1-0, Oregon 0-1. Let's talk a little bit about one of the more intriguing upcoming matchups in the conference. Uh, It's already week two. We've got Stanford heading down to L.A., to play in the Coliseum against USC. And as it stands right now, we don't have word on K.J. Costello who appeared to get a concussion on a um, what looked like a targeting play, even though it wasn't called as such on the field. Uh, we know uh, JT Daniels uh, tore his ACL is out for the year for USC. How is this game going to shake out and which team is better suited to deal with losing their starting quarterback? Uh, Gaby, do you have an opinion uh, on that? I've kind of been going back and forth on it. Uh, but the main thing for me, when you're, I, I thought, I didn't watch either of those games super closely, but I thought both quarter the backup quarterbacks neither looked super great, neither looked like ass. Um, but I feel like going down to it, I just trust David Shaw's staff way, way, way more than Clay Helton's. Um, and I also trust the veterans on Stanford's team, even though they lost a lot of people. I trust the 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 players that are, you know, um, coming in and, and, and that are those veterans, I trust them a lot more than I do the corresponding players for USC. Um, so that I, I'm going to go with Stanford. And I think I, yeah, I could see it being close. I could also see it just ending up with USC imploding. Um, that's my gut. I, I, I came wrong. down to the same thing. We're talking about a top I don't know, two or three coaching staff in the conference against a probably bottom two or three coaching staff in the conference. One, there's a really interesting philosophical issue mm-hmm. on USC's side where they brought in Graham Harrell from North Texas to install an air raid to take advantage of these receivers that they have. Mm-hmm. And now they're not only down their supposed star quarterback, they're also Jack Sears tra- is transferring out who was, you know, as good, maybe better than JT Daniels in some ways. And they're down to a freshman, third-string quarterback, uh, Slovis, who's probably not in a position to succeed in an air raid offense right now. USC probably could be pretty successful taking it back to the, you know, Marcus Allen type of offense where you're running the ball 40 times a game and leaning on your extremely talented defense. But I, I don't think they have the coaching staff that they were brought in with a specific job, and that was to put in a square peg and the hole went from being a square hole to a round hole in one week. And it's interesting. It'll be very interesting to me to see how they 
adapt to that. Uh, Lucas, do you have any other uh, thoughts on USC or Stanford? I, I also, we didn't mention that Walker Little is Stanford's superstar left tackle, also out uh, long term. Yeah. Uh, any other thoughts on, on yeah. the matchup or on either of these teams' trajectories? Yeah, I was just going to add the Walker Little injury. That's pretty devastating for Stanford. Um, yeah, I think it'll be interesting. Um, I'm not sure who I take, honestly. It's so bizarre to see um, two quarterbacks. You know, Costello might be back. We'll see if he plays or not. But two quarterbacks um, being out just in week two, um, you know, star quarterbacks is, is – um, Pretty bizarre. I feel a little bit better. Uh, I, I would echo what you said. You know, I'm not sure Slovis is really ready for this moment. I do think that there might be some advantage to the fact that the air raid is a pretty simplified offense. I think that, um, you know, they only run about 30 plays or so. So, you know, it's not like he's got a Rolodex of a of a playbook to, to really understand. But I and, you know, he's got an absolute embarrassment of riches at the wide receiver um, position. True to throw to so you know it, it could be worse but i would agree that you know i'm not sure this is this is really the guy ready to you know take usc that next step um you know it's really unfortunate that jt daniels got hurt um i would expect usc to probably keep it pretty simple for slovis uh probably throw a lot of things close to the line of scrimmage probably or towards the sideline and and avoid throwing over the middle and i would expect if that were the case stanford to really start to hug up on the line of scrimmage and then basically dare Slovis to make a, take a, you know, beat them over the top or over the middle. Um, I feel, you know, I think Davis, I think Mills at, at um, Stanford, you know, I think he should be a pretty good quarterback. So I think I'm, you know, as I think through it more leaning more towards Stanford, um, you know, Walker Little is a big loss and USC is at home. So I don't think this one will be a blowout um, either way, but I guess if I had to, had to take a make a pick I, w- I would go with Stanford um should be still be an interesting game though yeah I, I that's a good point that Stanford still has their backup USC's backup transferred and they're they're down another pick uh before we wrap it up I it thought it'd be fun to throw in a little brief non-football recommendation section or you know feel free to plug something of your own I think we established last week that Lucas is still casually hesitant to embrace his burgeoning stand-up career to join uh, Gabe in that venue. Uh, but we could still recommend other things, even if we're not the ones producing them. I'll, I'll start off. I, I just finished watching the new season of Mindhunter on Netflix. I love David Fincher. Uh, I'm embarrassingly interested in, in serial killers. And it was a very interesting show. I just learned at the end that it was actually based on a, uh, a series of uh, kidnappings and murders in Atlanta in the early 1980s. I didn't even realize it was based on a true series of events but if if the true crime stuff or any of david fincher's movies fight club seven zodiac any of that stuff appeals to you this is a great way to burn nine hours or however long the the series takes um lucas do you have anything that you were entertained by in the last week that wasn't a football game uh you kind of stole my thunder there no i watched a pressing amount of college football (laughs) um this weekend uh to the point where it was it's not depressing. <laughs> it was a, a little alarming. Very uplifting. <laughs> yeah. um, it always happens the first week, Mac. It's unavoidable. You settle in and you're like, oh, I'm so excited to watch this first game. And then the next one comes on. And then the next yeah. one comes on. And really the only way to break it up is to go in person. And if you're at the game, you're kind of uh, only watching one game. And then you have to get to and from the game. 
Otherwise, you're exactly right. You're going to watch like 36 straight hours of college. Exactly. And that's exactly what I did. So I'd rather just not reflect on on what happened. But, uh, <laughs> but no, no, no real plugs from me. <laughs> Gaby, anything from you? <laughs> uh, ooh, okay. TV shows to watch um, if anyone is in the mood for uh, really sharp and like, yeah, just like really sharp written comedies and not I don't mean that in the way of comedies that are written that are uh, in a way where you never actually laugh because it's just supposed to be like super smart and you're supposed to smile no but stuff that actually makes you gut laugh because it's just so uh, such vivid writing and just soul crushing at times but in a in a really good way uh, is Dairy Girls D-E-R-R-Y not D-A-I-R-Y but also an weird. interesting premise I think um, I watched that too so it's pretty much Cow-based comedy. <laughs> yeah, we just milk cows all day. Uh, no, it's <laughs> yeah, um, it's a uh, pretty much if you've seen the In Betweeners, it's an English English TV show. Uh, it's kind of like that, but it's Northern Irish, uh, set in the early '90s, so during the Troubles. Uh, if you do not are not familiar with Northern Irish history, uh, educate yourself and also watch this TV show while you're educating yourself because it's really friggin' funny, um, and. Uh, yeah, and it's only 12 episodes, so you can, you don't have to commit to a life of sitting on the couch. Oh, and also, before I end this, I forgot the thing that I plugged, uh, last week. I have two comp tickets, uh, for if anyone wants to come to that, I can get two people in for free. Uh, so like message me on Twitter or email me or whatever if you want to come. And I will give those to the first two people because... What's your Twitter in case anybody's not already following? Oh, right. Uh, <laughs> it's at Gaby, not Gabby, which is G-A-B-E-Y, not G-A-B-B-Y. Because uh, I'm salty about that. No, that's cool. You can tell me what yeah, you After want. the first few um, thousand times. Yeah, so that one. is my suggestion and my free tickets. Yeah. Sounds great. All right. Well, that should do it for episode two. Like I said, one fifteenth of the way to the national championship, hopefully next week. We'll be talking about a redemptive victory over Cal. Uh, also, we're hopeful that next week, uh, even if this is an unrealistic hope and we're not going to do anything to follow up on it, but we do hope that next week we'll be joined by Cody Pickett himself. So until then, go Washington. Yeah, that's going to happen. Good luck. Good luck. Bye-bye.